Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. This is uh, one of our uh, new kind of mobile editions. Um, I'm kind of on the road, but uh, I'm on the phone with a, a guest who has not been on the show before that I can remember, but he has been very active in the Kickstarter community for years and years, well-known, writes a lot, and I want to welcome to the show James Matthew. James, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, this is great. I don't, you haven't been on the show, have you? No, I'm rather uh, shy with mics and video and stuff. Yeah, that's interesting because you're certainly not shy with your opinion, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so I guess it's part of the internet. You get to uh, you get to have uh, bolder statements when you're writing. You do, and you do. You are prolific. Um, JamesMathy.com is where people can go find out most find where most of your content is, right? That's Mathy, M-A-T-H-E, so jamesmathy.com. And you've been writing about board gaming and Kickstarter and all of this for a while now. And it's probably been three years, maybe four. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, I started on pretty early with Kickstarter, so I would um, end with my gaming company starting about a year or two before Kickstarter. Yeah, so let's let's tell people a little bit about your credentials. You are active uh, writer and blogger, uh, very well known. Um, you curate a Facebook group, uh, Kickstarter Best Practices. Is that what it's called? Actually, there's like three of them. There's Kickstarter Best Practices, which has about uh, two thousand members, and then there's Board uh, uh, Card and Board Game Designers Guild, which has actually got thirty fifty three hundred members. And that's actually more active than any of the groups. And then I got a tabletop uh, game publishers group that I also. Uh, run and then I'm an admin inside the game industry forum, which is kind of the a cull over of the people from which was known as a gin, which was a private forum for uh, retailers and industry people and distributors and stuff like that. So I've got my feet in a lot of things, and I own three stores. And you, yes, you own three game stores. What are those called? Uh, game Universe in Milwaukee area, up in Milwaukee. And then you also let's see, you also um, own you own a board game publishing company. Yes, Minion Games, and Min that's, uh, that's been of, around for about six years now, I guess. Yeah, Minion Games, one of my favorite is Manhattan Project. I enjoy that. Aldo and I uh, play that on occasion. I do. It's one of my favorite uh, worker placement games. Yep, uh, and that, yet again, could be yet a whole other show, too. But uh. <laughs> It could. We're not going to talk about that today. And then you have also, um, let's see, I think we missed something that you're involved well, with. Well, I came, I came originally from, uh, like, in the year 2000, I invented the RPGnow.com, which is uh, the uh, entire industry of PDF sales for downloadable uh, books for RPGs. Right. Um, and that started, the like, a year before iTunes did, so... Um, I pioneered that industry, and then I eventually, about three or four years later, merged with a White Wolf spinoff called Drive Through RPG. Right. Um, and then a few years after that, I decided I want to go do something else, and that's when I kind of started Minion Games and doing my stores. Uh, and uh, Steve Wick, who used to run White Wolf, now runs that business, which I'm a part owner of yet. And then you also, though, started uh, Protospiel. Is that correct? Uh, well, no, I didn't actually start Protospiel. So Protospiel was started by a group of guys in uh, Michigan. Uh, Ann Arbor area um, and they ran it for a couple of years and then I found out about it and it's like hey we should have these all over the place so I became kind of an outspoken member of like you know it doesn't take much to run this thing it really kind of runs itself because it's really a workshop for game designers to show up and show off their games to other designers to get critical feedback uh, in, a, in a very informal manner and um, so we started one here in Milwaukee uh, and then uh, one now is in Madison, and there's one in California, and there's, yeah. so we've been trying to spread it around. 
The one here in California um, was uh, James, uh, Jeremy Commander put it on yes. this past weekend. Um, and it had, I don't know, 100, 150 people in attendance. Uh, well you actually attended. get a quite a yeah, big attendance out there. I think we usually get about 50 to 80 in the Midwest. Yep. So, um, yeah, there was a great turnout. And I got to, we did a panel on Kickstarter on that that I hosted. That We had, a, we had Aldo Giazzi, who's been on the show. We had um, Brian Hentz, good cop, bad cop game designer, who's been on the show. We had Jeremy Commander, who hasn't been on the show, but will be coming. And then uh, Teal... I forgot Teal's last name. Shadow th- uh, Sh- uh, Throne of Shadow, Shadow Thrones. I'm not sure who you're talking about, so I can't help yeah, you. So sorry. Yeah. So I just want to do a shout out. Now I can't remember Teal's last name. Ooh, shout. But what we're going to talk about is this love hate relationship that seems to exist out there amongst Kickstarter and the retail industry that it is having an impact on. And we're going to specifically talk about board games, but this really kind of applies to almost any industry. Kickstarter has galvanized, poured tons of uh, capital and money into each category that it touches, in this case, board games. Yet there are retailers trying to sell games through the traditional model, and there seems to be some... doesn't seem to be. There is definitive conflict between retailers and Kickstarter people who are launching and publishing these games, and we wanted to talk about that. And I think you have an opinion about this. Yeah, well, (laughs) I have multiple opinions. And it's kind of odd that I'm in all different realms. I make games. I sell games. I'm a retailer. I, I do PDFs. And we had the same sort of uh, kind of kickback or, or, or ill feeling when we introduced PDFs for RPGs and people were saying we were killing off RPGs at bookstores and nobody else could sell them because they were PDFs and we had a monopoly on it. So I've seen a lot of that same sort of thing echoing here with like, you know, the game stores saying, well, you're selling on Kickstarter and you're selling to all the alpha gamers and well, why should I sell your product if you've already sold it to a thousand or two of, of these alpha gamers that wanted the product? Um, right. But my and, answer to that is, is, you know, you just, as a retailer, you've got to take the emotion out of it. Um, and so if it sells, it sells and you bring it in, it sells, then great. Who cares how many other copies it sold? I mean, we got so many great games out there that were from Kickstarter. If you just totally ignored all Kickstarter games, there's Cards Against Humanity and there's uh, Boss Monster and, and all these other great ones that sell real well still in stores. I mean, hugely well. Kids Against Humanity is probably top seller in most stores that actually stock it. Um, and yet they're from Kickstarter and they wouldn't be here if Kickstarter didn't exist. Well, that, kick, that Cards Against Humanity is an interesting one because until just recently you couldn't even buy it in retail stores. It was only available on Amazon. On well, even that's kind of a farce at this point. Um, they did a pilot test with about 12 stores of which they have, I think, kicked out half of them already. Uh, so there's like six stores that officially can sell it through direct. Uh, so 99% of all the stores out there that are selling it are buying it at Amazon and marking it up and reselling it for twice as much and still selling boatloads of it. And so the, and, and so your argument so but there's people who say so and for That's a whole other story though. It is. For <laughs> it is. And we've had Max Temkin on the show a couple of times to talk about cards against humanity back uh, um, when they were first starting to hit the, their stride. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was something you said alpha gamers. And for those listeners who maybe aren't in the board game industry, an alpha gamer, what's your definition of an alpha gamer? So an alpha gamer is somebody who's out there always looking for the new product, always trying to try a new game, always looking to spend. I mean, they buy a couple of games a month. You know, they're not they're not the people that are just kind of casual gamers that go out and find a, a group and have a social fund. They're, they're people that are looking for the newest, coolest product, and they're the ones who buy the game for the game group and things like that. So they're the, the main person who's doing the purchasing in their area or telling people about new games. 
And a lot of those people are keeping their eyes on Kickstarter because a lot of good product do, does come through Kickstarter. I mean, granted, there's a ton of product that doesn't get funded that's crap, and then there's some products that do get funded that aren't that great, and then there's a fair amount of products that get funded that are great games. So they're out there buying this stuff before everybody else has got their hands on it, and they bring it to their group and show it off, and hopefully that you know sparks them to want to have it, and hopefully they can get it from their local retailers. But a lot of times the retailers are just you know being all very negative about Kickstarter, and they can't find it there, and they end up having to buy it online anyways. So, so that's a whole. So what they're saying is, let's just make sure we understand this 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 clear this argument, and that is these alpha gamers are coming in. And traditionally, they would have come into the game store, bought the game, took it to their game group, and then drove traffic to the game, and what what is being said and what you just articulated is these alpha gamers, instead of coming into the game store to buy the game are buying it online on Kickstarter. Right. Because they're seeing it months before it's ever produced or So the first heads up about it. And since they're so into the hobby, they're paying attention to what's happening. They're like, wow, this seems like a really good game. So their first opportunity to actually purchase it ends up being on Kickstarter. Uh, but in, in the same, uh, I don't know, the same realm of things is that you wouldn't maybe have half of those games even be produced ever because these people don't have the money to produce a board game. And a board game is going to cost you 15 to 25 grand to produce. And a lot of people don't have that laying around. And so your argument to these kicks, these retailers, are you saying that this just isn't true, that they're not losing sales to these? Well, no, I'm not saying that exactly. I'm saying there are, they have to cherry pick and know how to cherry pick. And uh, there are some people that just won't touch anything Kickstarter. So my stores doesn't typically back Kickstarters because and maybe this is down a different tangent, but I'm not going to stick, you know, two, three hundred dollars out there and let it sit around and, and do nothing and not work for me for six, nine months, even a year. You know, some of these people are even later than that. When I could be putting that money to work on my shelf. Is, is three hundred dollars really that big of a, an investment? For these small game stores, yeah, it can be. There's, uh, we're, you know, a lot of these game stores make maybe twenty grand a year profit at the most. You know, we're not talking a ton of money. So it's one person living off that. <laughs> if they don't have any partners that help them start, that, yeah, that's hard. Maybe box of inventory makes a lot of problem. But maybe that that's hard for uh, board game publishers and designers to realize because they're looking at this game, and usually at a game store, you're marking up the game fifty percent. Right yeah. or a hundred? Excuse me, a hundred percent. A forty dollar game. The game store gets twenty dollars of that forty dollars. That seems like a lot of money. Yeah, it's actually a really good blog post that was recently done by um, Desert Sky Games and Comics, and he posted about the actual cost of goods and and how there was a survey done recently, and most I think it was somewhere around thirty six percent or no, a bunch of people think that a store typically profits around thirty thirty five percent. Uh, of of you know their net sales, when when the truth is much closer to in most businesses as well, you know somewhere around five to ten percent if you're lucky. So five percent. So now suddenly that three hundred dollars that they're taking and putting into a Kickstarter campaign is three hundred dollars of pure profit of that tiny little five percent slice that they have. Right, that sits there then for a year because it may not come out. And that's only if they back, right. And that's only if they back one game. If they back ten. Suddenly, right. the, suddenly now, a significant portion of their profit is tied up in a game that they don't even know if it's going to be any good. And, and I mean, there is a there is also a significant number of games, like maybe not significant, but th- there's a number of games that either take multiple years or just never come out at all. So you can't just completely ignore that either. So you are going to get burned one or two times too. So, so what do you tell a game store then when it comes to Kickstarter? If is there a, a, a smart way to interact with the Kickstarter to actually make it advantageous to your game store? Uh, usually what we try to do is you should talk directly with the uh, 
the publisher and work a deal outside of Kickstarter. Um, it shouldn't be part of the Kickstarter funding, uh, mainly because what you want to do is say, hey, you know, I could buy these direct from you. How about give me notice when it's actually in stock, and we'll we'll make a transaction at that time. Is there anything that you can do to do your uh, game stores? Because I know you're heavily involved in Kickstarter. Um, and then the protospiel that we just did was done at, at one of the largest game stores here in the San Francisco Bay Area at Game mm-hmm. Castle. Um, they hosted the Kickstarter protospiel um, event. Oh, excuse me. It wasn't Kickstarter. It was a protospiel. But most of those people are going to try to put those games on Kickstarter. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what your question My is. My question but is, I think is they're that, doing it because it's of goodwill. I mean, they're not doing it because they're going to try to get some sales later. Is there uh, anything that a game store can do to to uh, to build a relationship with this Kickstarter? Well, sure, sure. We uh, we invite people in for uh, uh, some of the local designers when they have a Kickstarter. We'll invite them in to do a signing and things like that and play test uh, their final game when it comes out. They'll have a little party, and so we'll sell a few from that, and that's usually worth the worth the hassle. But um, I mean, for the most part, what you got to do is you got to see, you know, is there a demand? Are there people in your store actually asking for this game? Will they actually purchase it? So then, hopefully. Uh, they get into distribution. So that's one of my kind of thresholds of whether we bring it into our store. Uh, 99% of the time, unless they get into distribution, I'm not going to stock their Kickstarter anyways. And what does that mean, get into distribution? So that means like working with Aldo, uh, somebody or directly to a distribution uh, to the uh, retailers. So a distributor just basically is somebody I call up and say, hey, I want to copy this, and I want to copy that, I want to copy this. I get to about $300 worth of stuff, and I get my free shipping. Uh, I don't have time or desire to go and call up some guy who made a Kickstarter and ask him for a dozen copies, or I wouldn't even want a dozen copies. I'd want maybe three or four copies of his game, and then i got to pay shipping on top of it. So I wasted all that time calling him. I wasted time taking a risk on a Kickstarter game that already sold to a bunch of people. Uh, it's not worth my hassle. So, But if a game is good enough, then we're going to get it into distribution because they know there's more sales post-Kickstarter. So Kickstarter is usually a flash in the, you know, uh, the pan, and then you want to go off to distribution and start selling something, and you want to eventually hit what's known as an evergreen product. That's the holy grail. You want a product that's going to sell year after year after year. How, okay, let's talk about that because <laughs> and, and we've mentioned Aldo who's been on the show and we're going to have him back on the show to talk about this distribution model because uh, during the panel that we did this weekend, um, he talked about distribution and you've just referred to Kickstarter as a flash in the pan. That What, what does it take for a, a product to get into distribution and be considered a successful evergreen product? I mean, what kind of numbers are you looking at to make that successful. Well, if I knew the answer to that, I would be making money. <laughs> but uh, so here's a little bit of a, a, a comparison. I think I've, I've produced about twelve games or so now. Um, probably half of them have uh, lost money or just broken even. One of them has become evergreen, and, that, um, and that's the Manhattan Project. And what that means is basically it's going to sell fifty plus copies through distribution every month, uh, and it'll just keep selling for years to come. Most games will come out, they'll sell two or three, 400 copies into distribution. The next month they might sell 100 copies. The next month they're selling 20 copies. And then they sell two or three or four for the next six months. And then it's dead. And it's dead inventory. Find a garbage can. So your goal to make that evergreen is 50, 50 copies a month for life. Yes. And that, and that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you do that a couple of times and, and – yeah, no, it's it's what pays the bills. So, and it's this, again, this industry has its own scale. Um, you know, you're talking if you're talking mainstream industry, they're talking hundreds of thousands of copies or something. We print things in this industry in in a couple of thousands. You know, we might print two thousand copies, three thousand copies, four thousand copies. 
uh, and then you're going to sell through only a certain amount, and that's going to be much, much smaller than the mainstream business, but you're also reaching hobbyists. So, Speaking, of, re- speaking of reaching hobbyists, you and you just brought this up about a survey. You did a survey recently about um, Kickstarter, and I wanted to talk to you about that. We're kind of we're, we're going to be out of time here in just a second, but tell us just a little bit about that survey. Maybe we can have you come back on another episode to talk about it. What was the survey? Sure. To, who was it to and what was it about? Yeah, well, I've done a couple of surveys in the past, but the most recent one was I'm uh, about to embark on another three or four uh, Kickstarters ourselves for this year, and it's been a while since our last ones because we want to try to ship previous ones before we start new ones. And things have changed in Kickstarter a little bit. They've uh, added the ability to add shipping as a separate option and paid by customers. Uh, they've added uh, a new uh, product front page, and they've added um, some other marketing things. And I, so I wanted to reach out and see if what you know the landscape looks like for uh, publishing now and Kickstarter, and whether these same things that were true when I started are true now. Uh, one of those things is uh, early birds. A lot of people are starting to do these early birds, give somebody a big discount, or uh, uh, if they buy on early in the first day or two, because it's extremely important to have very powerful first day or two. But a lot of those end up being toxic on the last half of the campaign because people missed out and they don't want to sign up now. So I, I did a survey about all that kind of stuff, and, and uh, we can talk about that results in more detail in your next episode, I guess. But okay. that's basically where it was. All right, let's let's talk about that because I think there was some really interesting information that you got there about um, some marketing aspects, some of the things that have changed in Kickstarter. Uh, James, you've done a ton of, of stuff. You, what's your next Kickstarter camp, camp, campaign coming out? Uh should be within the next month there's a actually i've I've stepped out some of my uh, norms we're doing a dexterity game in space so it'll be kind of an interesting uh swing i'm a sucker for space games so i'm probably (laughs) gonna have to take a look at it uh and so next month are we talking may uh yeah it should be sometime in may it's called cosmic kaboom cosmic kaboom it's a disc flipping game you flip discs at planets and collect resources and then you can throw out a huge nuclear bomb to destroy planets oh awesome sounds like a great family game to teach uh, (laughs) good uh, good family values james thanks for joining me and we're going to have you back to talk about that survey so i appreciate you being on the show thanks for having me i appreciate it you've been listening to funding the dream on kickstarter my guest has been james Matthew, and as you heard at the beginning of the show he's done a whole lot of stuff but you can go find information about that he has shared about Kickstarter at jamesmathy.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care.